This is the Physical Activity Researcher Podcast, a podcast for researchers of sedentary behavior, physical activity, and sports. Join for a relaxed dialogue about research design, practicalities, and, well, anything related to research. Learn from your fellow researchers useful and relevant information that does not fit into formal content and limited space of scientific publications. And here is your host, researcher and entrepreneur, Ollie Tikkanen. Welcome, everyone. We are going to have a very practical and useful episode, especially for early career researchers, as we are going to talk about common problems with PhD and writing scientific papers, and more importantly, how to overcome them. And we have a special guest for this episode. He has PhD in biochemistry and molecular biology from Monash University, Australia. And he has been working as a speaker, career coach in his own company. He's helping academics with podcasts, blogs, workshops, and courses. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome our guest, Dr. Richard Huismans. Welcome, Richard. Thanks, Ali. And I think when you start to write your thesis, there's already so much material that is kind of ready. There has been probably a couple of grant applications where is good text that that really closely relates to your theme. You have maybe written two to four scientific publications where you have the methods exactly like that, the introduction. So I think it's kind of just using that material, connecting when you just put them in the document, you see that, all right, these need to be linked together. How do I link these together? How do I link this paper to this? But I think there's so much material that is already ready that it's just kind of combining, maybe rewriting sentences, but it's it's not even close to starting from scratch. So how, how do you see this scratch? Yeah, how do you see this uh, using the material that you already have? Yeah, the the biggest issue is going to be plagiarism. And, un- and so reusing it, definitely do it, but be mindful that the plagiarism is is real there'll be plagiarism checkers and even self plagiarism is real so unless you're putting the entire article in as a published piece of work here's what i've done copying and pasting content from that you've written in another source is considered plagiarism even though it's your own material so just be mindful of that um but certainly, I would encourage people not to reinvent the wheel. So using these connecting sentences, using these connecting paragraphs is useful. A technique that Wendy Belcher talks about in terms of summarizing content uh, that I think is a good one is to read the article through and then write one paragraph that summarizes the article without referring back to the article. So if you forget a word and you need to replace it in your own mind, that's good because it's now not going to be as closely related to the article and probably not going to be plagiarism. Whereas if you highlight stuff, like with a highlighter or digitally or a real marker, the chances of plagiarizing that are probably a bit higher. The other thing that I like to encourage the people that I coach is to talk out what it is that they're trying to do so like as you mentioned i've got method a and and result a how do i get them you know how do i describe how i got from one to the other if you just do this you know as we're talking now or we already talked about um online tools that are useful you can get 
tools uh, that'll turn voice into text. Microsoft Word does that really well. Uh, you can just talk and then Microsoft Word will do all the typing for you and that'll be a really useful way of getting content down quite quickly. Uh, you could talk on a topic. So, you know, if you're in year one or year two in your PhD, you might not be the expert just yet, but you've learned heaps. If you just spoke for five minutes to your computer, you'd probably get just over a page, maybe a bit more written down, and that would be a great place to start. And, you, you know, you don't have to start from scratch. Yeah, I, I think that uh, voice to voice to text. I think it's interesting and it has really really improved uh, lately. And actually, in in Liverpool, there was one researcher who was writing his uh, scientific paper introductions while he was running. So he had like a microphone, and he was he was just talking. And after the run, he had like text. Of course, it needed some some corrections but yeah but he, he he was a crazy guy he was he was training for a triathlon and he he had found a lot of ways to be more productive more productive yeah if i was trying to write and um, talk and run at the same time i don't have enough um fitness to do that yeah i don't know how that wouldn't just come across as garbled breathing heavy breathing into the microphone the whole time yeah and and how how would you go with the thesis i think writing the thesis i think for many people it's they think it as a two big tasks in a way they they want it to be perfect i think it takes usually much more time than it should i think it's it doesn't take that much time to actually write when you just start writing you have already written like scientific papers so how would you encourage people just doing it faster in in a way doing it faster to me involves um understanding what um gives you energy versus what takes it away so you talked before ollie about oh i like to run in the morning i like to walk in the afternoon those two things if i did them they would be giving me energy as much as you might be physically exhausted after a run or more physically drained after a walk they provide positive energy to me overall and so when it comes to writing your thesis you've got to bear those kinds of things in mind so what are the things in life that um, sustain you versus what are the things that drain you and so for most people writing their thesis is draining so you need to complement that with something that is sustaining so that might be listening to music or playing music or reading non-scientific material it could be creative writing it could be drawing painting like we already discussed running fitness whatever um, so balancing those two things out is really important um, and then set yourself goals and stick to them um, or set yourself habits, I should say, and try to stick to them. So we talked about 15 minutes writing a day. So if you're intense writing, that's not going to be enough to write your thesis in a short amount of time. Um, you might want to set yourself a, a habit of writing for an hour in the morning, an hour in the middle of the day, and an hour in the afternoon. And then if you just focus on writing in those times, um, you'll probably find that three hours is plenty, particularly if you intersperse that with reading, if you intersperse that with discussion and those other activities that I mentioned before that sustain you, you'll find that I think only three or four hours a day of writing would be would be enough. Yeah, I, I think those are good points, like what is draining your energy. And I think people have this 
idea that they need to be alone in the library from morning in the to the evening and and it's like hard work and and maybe i can share here how i did my phd thesis i actually i don't i don't <clears throat> i'm not a big fan of winter in the nordics it's super dark <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't give me energy so my my first task was to book flights to tenerife which okay. is canary islands uh yeah. close to close to africa and i booked a trip there uh eight weeks and and i was writing my thesis just in tenerife in a cafe by the sea oh, and sometimes nice. even like even like having a tablet and just laying on the beach and just kind of scribbling that this needs to actually go there and then i would go to a cafe and take my laptop and and write it and i think that was easy because you go to a new place there's no no tasks no friends you need to meet or or anything the sun gives you energy and and you can just focus on on writing and for me that that worked perfectly like uh, mm. and i really really enjoyed it, it was it was one of the <laughs> great times of of my life like just <laughs> writing the thesis so i think people sometimes make it like kind of they they have the the image in their mind that it needs to be difficult and then they kind of create follow that. that yeah they they create that yeah i love that that you um like booked a booked a uh, beach holiday to write your thesis and not many people would be brave enough to do that but um i think that's really good i i also like what you said about different settings different tools but it all came together in improving your thesis so cool i could hang out at the beach and scribble on my tablet and then go back to a cafe and turn the scribbles into real like the, the finished product i i'm a big fan of using the tools that you have available so um and i, and I like focusing work in bursts that are big enough to get stuff done. So let's say you're, you know, let's say you were um, in the lab collecting data and you had a really good thought about how to write a section in your thesis. So I wouldn't nick off from the lab and go and write that section. I'd encourage you to, you know, have your phone there, have a dictaphone, whatever, and just record that as a note so you can free your mind of having to remember that. Computers are really good at not forgetting stuff. So let's make use of it let's make that voice recording and then you've got a series of voice recordings that are all related to your thesis you can have a listen and go oh yeah that was a good one that was a rubbish one and and put it in later so you don't have to get distracted from what else you might be doing um i find at times running i have good thoughts so I just make a voice memo this is a this is the thing that i should remember and then i don't stress while i'm on my run or back at the office oh what was that thought that I had about whatever? But all of this stuff is, you know, noted down so for easy referral and finding later on. I, I think that's a good point. I I also really like the voice recordings, voice messages because they are that fast, and I'm usually using for myself just the Facebook Messenger because there's the option that you can just for yourself, so you mm -hmm. can you can just send voice messages to yourself, and then they mm -hmm. are accessible with the computer and smartphone always, and it's. Mm. Yeah, very very simple. And simple uh, as best I'm aware, the um those messages persist forever. I I think so. Yeah. Yeah. 
So unless you have a problem with, well, maybe you do have a problem with privacy, but then there's there's no need to back that up. There's no need to store that anywhere, you know, to to make sure you don't lose it. It's there in Messenger if you need to find it. So Facebook knows my PhD thesis team a little <laughs> bit before it's published, but I think that's not a problem. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. right. I, I'm sure there are people out there that have probably got a problem with that, and there's probably secure ways to keep notes. Um that are still as accessible. There's probably like, I think I've got an Android phone and I think there's a note version of that that's got secure notes. I've got a password manager that allows you to keep secure notes. So there's, mm. there's, there's opportunities out there other than the publicly available share with everyone versions, but yeah. Yeah. And, and if we move from thesis to a little bit more general, what, what are the common problems you have seen doing a phd uh the biggest one i think is um letting the phd define who you are so we become our phd and the phd becomes us and so like we spoke about before people cancel everything in order to get it done whether that's cancel everything to collect data cancel everything to write a thesis cancel everything to write a journal article and you lose yourself in that process, you know, you look, you, you can see how if if I cancelled Christmas to write my thesis, then I gave it to my supervisor and said, "Here's my draft." I could see if I got anything negative back, how bad that would make me feel because how important Christmas and that time period is for me. And I cancelled that so I could give this to you, and then you treated it like garbage, or you said it was bad that would make me feel really bad. So, you know, having a holistic life is far more important than devoting 60, 70, 80 hours a week to your to your PhD. And that's the biggest thing that I see. People think that they've got to devote all this time. And it's not the case. Like we said, work out what drains you, work out what sustains you and have a balance between those two. Um, and if someone's saying to you, oh, I think you're spending a lot of time doing your research or doing your work. That's probably some truth in that. You probably are spending a lot of time and maybe you should rebalance out your life. Yeah, I, I, I fully, fully agree with with that. And and I, I also see that sometimes with I, I have been doing with the quantitative data and the data amounts are big and, and then even getting the hard drive where you have the data or hard drives and yeah. then kind of even opening them it it might take like time before yeah. you get it opened you have all the hard drives so even like to actually start analyzing the data it is that all right i need to have my computer this hard drive goes there the software and now i open the file and it's going like <laughs> going times yeah, maybe yeah. sometimes i had like my computer was crashing because i was trying to do a video analysis and it it warmed too much so i had to put ice under my computer <laughs> that it, yeah, yeah. it didn't crash and i think these are the things that really take much more time than we expect and maybe your yes. supervisor doesn't know it's that actually it takes two hours to get the software and data opened and then i had had to go to collect more data or something so i think that kind of things are are difficult and i don't i don't know how do you have any ways of how how you would make this more effective or manage these kinds yeah. of problems i think the answers are obvious i think 
And I think when I, you know, when I say, oh, you should let your supervisor know that that's what you did, that sounds really obvious. And people go, of course you would. But some people, sometimes you can feel ashamed. Oh, I couldn't, like it took two hours to open the file, right? And that sounds like ages. And I have no idea what that means to you or what that means in your research. But hopefully your supervisor would or would go, that seems odd to me. Why did it take two hours? And then it turns out the way you were setting up the hard drives wasn't right. You know, you were, con- I have no idea. You were connecting them in series when they should have been connected in parallel, or you were using the wrong program to open everything up. And that was really slow. And that one's only used when you've got the clean data, not the unclean data set, whatever. I don't know. But so telling your supervisor means that they might be able to come up with an answer for you. Or they might say, oh, wow, you've got a lot of data. Cool. Let's back off on the amount that we're collecting because this is way too much. Uh, that that would be the first thing. The next thing, and that it kind of relates, lots of students cancel meetings with their supervisor when they have nothing to report. So again, Generally speaking, people are meeting, if you're doing a full-time PhD for three to four years, you're probably meeting with your supervisor theoretically once a month, but you might cancel one of those meetings. That's valuable time, I think, that you're giving up. And even if you only end up using, if you've got an hour session, if you only use 15 minutes of that, that's much better than canceling altogether. Even if you say that things haven't progressed, you can tell your supervisor why they haven't progressed and maybe they can help. Maybe they can refer you to a postdoc and say, you know, hey, go and talk to so-and-so because they overcame the challenge. Like you said, oh, I had to put ice on my computer. I don't know. Maybe you can book a cool room. Maybe there's a better cooling system that you can install or maybe you can rent a cooling system to make it work. I, I don't know what the answers are, but your supervisor might have some of them. This podcast is sponsored by Fibian. Fibian is an accurate sitting and physical activity tracking device and analysis platform. It is a great tool for projects that aim for behavior change in sedentary behavior and incidental physical activity. Fibian provides easy-to-understand PDF and web browser reports for participants. Other features include comparisons to recommendations, linking results to health risks, achievement cards, and interactive goal-setting tool. In addition, Fibian provides an API that allows for easy integration to other systems and applications. Learn more about Fibian at fibian.com research. Fibian, from researchers to researchers. Yeah, yeah, and I, I thought that when you actually tell your supervisor, and if it's really too much work, maybe your supervisor have some money that they can hire you know some assistant who can do the like the simple work it's not that usually they push it all to the phd students but if you as a phd student actually come to say that hey i i analyzed one person it took like 12 hours and we have like thousand it i it doesn't make sense to me to do how how can we solve this so i think it's also kind of timing how much does it take time and then calculating that oh this actually takes too much like I, I agree with that. I do a couple of programs relating to writing. And one of the things that I get all of the people to do is to make a plan at the start of the program. And each week we check in against the plan. And the goal is not to 
tell people, oh, your plan was rubbish or you can't stick to your plan, but it's to help people become more aware of how long things actually take. So I think that's really a really good thing to note. All right, it took me 60 hours to analyze one person with, I don't know, a thousand data points on that person. Great. So if we're going to capture a thousand people, that's 60,000 hours you're going to spend analyzing the data. Let's say you get quicker and it, it works out being 30 hours per person. That's still 30,000 hours. I have no idea how many working hours in a year, but I'd It'd be a lot, I'm sure. And then if you go, cool, if I know that information, I can communicate that to my supervisor and we can make a change. Or when I'm planning, like going back to blocking out your diary, if you know it's going to take you 30 hours to analyze one person and you put down, oh, this week I'm going to get analysis done and there's three people to analyze, you know that you've got to spend 90 hours doing analysis. And you might dread that (laughs) or you might go, cool, this is a week where I get to do nothing but analysis. At least you can do it with your, you know, with your eyes open. One of the things that I constantly tell the people that I work with is if you plan to write four hours this week and you only get two hours done, don't make next week six hours, make next week two hours because that's what's actually possible rather than punishing yourself and trying to catch up those lost hours. Plan to do two and see where you get to. And in, invariably, people get the two done and they feel excited that they got two hours done and they'll put in an extra half an hour or an hour and get three hours done and they feel so much better about that than failing to hit their six-hour goal or failing to hit their four-hour goal. So I totally agree. Knowing how long something takes is really um, useful. And we have been discussing almost an hour, so we, we <laughs> can maybe move move forward from yeah, here. Sure. So so basically you have worked as a as a career coach, you have you have been helping people to write. Uh, how does a career coach help in, in this kind of situation? Why would you recommend people taking a, a coach? Um so I've got no vested interest in the outcome of your PhD other than you being successful, or I've got no invested interest in the outcome of your research other than you being successful. So I can be kind of an independent voice asking, or any coach, not just me, can ask a question that you might not think to ask yourself. Like I said to you before, when I ask people, have you actually considered saying no to meetings that never dawned on them that they could say no? Or it, dawned on them but they didn't know how and so I can provide or coaches can provide some of that how I've also seen like like we've talked about writing thesis writing journal articles writing grants I've seen probably more than most academics will see in their lifetime not because I've written more but because I've helped more people write them And so I've seen the mistakes or I've seen how to fix an error or I've seen how to move through problems um, and so there's some of the things. Um, I also come with, a, I guess, a, um, a non-expert view. So we talked about accessibility around science communication. I can understand most concepts if you, if I, you know, take the time to explore them with you. And in doing that, I help you understand what you know better. 
um, because I'm getting you to explain it to me in a way that I can understand. And I think a lot of times academics can get caught in the jargon of their discipline, of their um, field, of their peers, and having a coach or having someone outside of that help you work through all that can help you become clearer in your ideas, clearer in your thinking. Yeah, I, I fully agree. And and supervisors, they are usually busy and they they get their position because they have done scientific papers, but it's not because they, they are maybe the best supervising. They are not maybe the best helping people when they are struggling. Do mm. they understand the problems? Usually they have done decades of scientific papers. So actually remembering how difficult it was even for yeah. them to write the first paper, I, I think it it really makes sense. So if, if somebody now of the listeners is considering, could you tell more how would the process go? Mm-hmm. How, should, how, how should they contact you and what are then the options uh, of going yeah, forward? Sure. So I'm on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn as Richard Heismans. Um, and I'm sure Ollie will have all that info in the show notes um, and off, off the Twitter there. Uh, so you can just contact me by any of those social media or my website. Again, that's drrichardheismans.com. And again, that'll be all in the show notes, I'm sure. And how does the process work? So generally speaking, you'll reach out to me and say, hey, Richard, I'm interested in this. We'll have a discussion. So I'm happy to chat with anyone if you're interested in exploring what coaching might mean to you. Um, Happy to chat, no obligation. I'll give you advice that I think is usable. Um, and practical in the session. Um, we'll record it so that you can have that advice to refer back to later on. Um, and then if you thought that was all useful, well, we can go ahead and formalize the relationship and decide whether we want to work together on a grant, on a publication, on career development in general, social media, and, and take it from there. Um, yeah, I think I've got this on my website, actually. One of the things that we know about athletes is that they have coaches you know the best athletes have coaches um and so i think the best thinkers academics need coaches too not because uh you're not a great thinker but because it just helps to have a coach to ask questions to you know look at your form look at your technique show you how you could improve help you analyze your your competitors build on your strengths get rid of your weaknesses those are all the reasons why athletes have coaches and i think they all apply to um to academics too and i i can really say i have had like a kind of business coach now for for a little bit over a year so basically we have a have a video meeting about once in uh, two weeks and it it really helps you know most of the time you're alone with the decisions and and as a as a company owner, they are actually quite a big decisions. And then you're just going around in your head like, ah, should we do this or should we go that way? And and then just somebody, you know, supporting your ideas or sometimes challenging them. And it 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 really makes a difference just to have someone to talk and then getting like support or or maybe maybe saying that that's not a good idea, but I, I would really vote for, for coaches. And and I'm glad to hear that you've had a coach and that you've got benefit. That's great. Yeah, yeah. And and I I would actually like to have more coaches in in different different aspects, but I haven't had 
time to look for them yet, but I, I think we will we will get get some other other coaches also for our company. And and I, I, I checked quickly your website. You have quite a bit of material there. Could you tell a little bit about your podcast blogs and, and courses? Yeah, so I practice what I preach. So I, uh, at the start, we talked about how easy it is to do podcast blogs, blogs, etc. So I do all of that off basic equipment. Um, and so I'll uh, I, every week I run a workshop for 45 minutes on a topic. There's a full list on my website. It ranges from social media to grant writing to productivity. Uh, and then those are generally recorded and I'll cut them up and spit them out and put them on um, onto podcasts. So using a free service, I think it's called Anchor FM, uh, put them onto YouTube. So you get to see my talking head with a lovely background and, and a slide deck or three um, as well. And so that's all free and that's all free off the videos are all hosted on YouTube and replicated on my website, the, the podcasts, the, the same thing, there's links off my website as well as via Spotify and Anchor FM, etc. If you ask your smart device to play Dr. Richard Heisman's podcast to my shock and horror, it will play. My kids did that, and I heard my own voice, and it was disgusting. So <laughs> it's I didn't, and I didn't have to do anything to make that all possible. So um, yeah, I was horrified. Yeah, and and of course, coaching it costs something, and mm -hmm. I think it would be an advantage for a supervisor that their students would actually have you as a coach mm -hmm. how how would you say to the phd students how would they convince their supervisor to actually pay the costs of of coaching mm -hmm. oh firstly at the moment i'm running an annual subscription so if it's a hundred australian dollars for the whole year there's 36 workshops you'll get access to for free then $10 each. So that's $360 worth of value for a hundred. And then being a subscriber, you'll get half price off everything else. And then in terms of how do you convince the supervisor to pay that the half price of the regular fee, then that's, um, you know, how much time does the supervisor want to spend with you developing writing skills, developing critical thinking skills, etc. Whereas, you know, as a coach, I can help them along with that. So the supervisor will help you determine what experiments to run. But I can say, well, have you thought about think you know, how have you thought about this problem? Could you think about it in a different way? So if a supervisor wants to offload some of that administration, the, you know, the the unwritten curriculum of being a PhD student or the unwritten curriculum of being an early career researcher, then that will definitely help. The coaching will definitely help. So basically supervisors can push some of their work to you and it's, it's not the big costs. And I think basically all the professors who work as supervisors, they, they have usually calendar quite full. So I think Yeah. This would be a good point of of reducing their workload. There's, yeah, I think there's a lot of academic burnouts, and it is it is worrying. So I think that could be one one way of maybe reducing the the workload. Yeah, improve the quality of a student's work massively. I think um, students have said that their supervisors working with journal writing or thesis writing that in the 15 weeks the, the there's a 
marked difference in the quality of the work that, that was being shown to the supervisor. And the supervisor said, what happened? What did you do uh, over this time? And that's when they said, oh, I signed up to Richard's program. And um, yeah, and so the supervisor was really happy because they saved heaps of time on correcting stuff that, um, uh, yeah, some of the writing stuff. So not the scientific content, but the scientific expression, like we talked about earlier, sentence structure, et cetera, was made much better. And have you actually, it just came to my mind, used the Scrum method? I don't know if you know the Scrum, which is used mainly in, in software development. It's kind of a system, how you control different tasks in a team. Mm-hmm. So that's the, that's kind of part of Agile, right? Yeah, I, I think it's part, yeah. Yeah, So and that's where you have like a bunch of tasks that you need to get done. And then you kind of prioritize a certain amount of tasks, have your meeting tick off the ones that are done and then progress to the next little lot of tasks that might have come through. Is that right? Yeah, and I, I think the good idea in that is that you have, for example, that you need to do 10 tasks every week. So yes. basically the idea is that you need to make small enough tasks that you can always do 10 tasks. So basically one task could be writing two sentences for the introduction of the article. Yes. Yes. So so you put it in a really small chunks and then for a supervisor or a coach it's really easy to follow the progress because you can really finish because if if it's like if the task is writing a scientific paper you ask like how is it going? Yeah, it's not ready yet and you don't know at at all where it is but if you have like just writing one sentence then you can show that all right this is the first sentence this task is done and basically you can do it that you have posted notes on a board and then you kind of move them yes move them yes to the things. kanban yeah. board yeah yeah, yeah i definitely yeah. think that that i talk a little bit about that kind of approach uh for research in general um i think it's really useful because uh, i think it allows for the changing nature of research and the changing nature of data collection one of the things that researchers hate about other forms of project management like waterfall or prints is that they're just uh, time consuming. People feel like they do a whole bunch of planning only to realize that the plans aren't right anymore. But so I really like that scrum agile kind of approach that's iterative that allows you to set your goal more frequently. Like you said, write 10 sentences, uh, write one sentence, read one article. It's really bite-sized pieces that make sense. Yeah, and and I think also with that is that when you are doing the tasks, you actually put it in the chunks that you can understand what needs to be done that the PhD will be ready then, that you actually understand what are the steps and it helps you to concentrate because you see that, all right, I need to do 10 tasks, today needs to be two, I, I pick these ones and I can I can finish and I think it it helps to structure the work and understand that I'm actually progressing. Yeah, uh, the sense of progress is important. And I and I sort of said this before about getting into habits and routines. And I think the routine of writing up chunkable tasks and completing them will give you a sense of progress as well, which would be really useful for a PhD. Like, you know, there's a saying, how do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time. So that that's exactly the same thing with a PhD. It's an elephant. You've got to just do one sentence, one word at a time, one experiment at a time. 
Yeah, I I fully agree. I think I think this has been a very interesting discussion, and I I hope a lot of our listeners find find value. Do you have any any final remarks? Oh, thanks very much for having me. I've enjoyed having a chat about all things PhD and productivity. I appreciate you taking the time and your listeners taking the time to um, to hear about it. Yeah, perfect. That's- thanks for joining us this week on Physical Activity Researcher Podcast. If you like the show, make sure you never miss an episode by subscribing or following the show on Twitter. This podcast is made possible by listeners like you. Thank you for your support. If you found value in the show, we would really appreciate a rating on Apple Podcast or whichever app you're using. Or if you would, in a real old school way, simply tell a friend about the show. It would be a great help for us. We have a fantastic lineup of guests for forthcoming episodes. So be sure to tune in. Thank you all for your support and have a great day.